0: Welcome to episode four of the Film Study Podcast, Allegories for Life. My name is Darren Whiting. My name is Issa Abdul Kadus. Today's episode is about comfort, routine, and reasons why and how making ourselves uncomfortable. Has helped us grow and improve. The book for today's topic is Living with the Seal, 31 Days Training with the Toughest Man on the Planet by Jesse Esler and the film Major Pain starring Damon Wayne's for reference and analysis. Uh Issa, Issa suggested this book to me. It's a five hour or so listen. Um the book is entertaining and funny, but damn, Audible fucking sucks. Um, <laughs> the book is funny. um Issa, can you give me like a summary of the book and like why you decided to read it?
1: Yeah, so um About three years ago, 2018, the Dolphins, when I was with the Dolphins after I got injured, they put together a business combine trying to empower athletes to learn about the business world and learn uh, different skills for their second career after sports is over. So one of the speakers for the event was Jesse Isler. At the time, I never heard of him before, but uh, he he was telling his story. He He was talking about how he ran a 100 mile marathon with three of his friends and this SEAL shows up by himself to run a 100-mile marathon, hundred marathon by himself. He's at 300 pounds, a 300-pound dude. Like, he wasn't just, like, a regular size dude. Yeah. So he said at, at fucking the 60-mile mark, the the uh, SEAL broke both of his feet. So he decided to duct tape his feet so they could stay in place. And he yeah. ran 40 more miles on two broken feet at 300 pounds. So that –
0: Inspired me off the. He mentioned rip. that in a, he mentioned that in a book too.
1: Yeah, he yeah that, that inspired me off the rip, but it inspired Jesse Isler to work with this guy because he's like, yo, this dude is he's driven by something that I don't understand clearly. Like he's he embraces the pain and everything like that. So Jesse Isler decided to invite the Seal to stay with him for 31 days so he could train him.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So uh, you know, uh, the book is pretty much a memoir of each day that the Seal was with him, and uh, the it was what I loved about it. Me personally was the whole idea of kind of putting yourself through some pain, um, some uncomfort to see the glory on the other side. Because sometimes we often feel like the world just does bad things to us, and we have to just deal with it. But when, if we could put ourselves in those uncomfortable positions and put ourselves in pain, then it's so much easier to deal with the world, the pains that the world is bringing us.
0: Yeah, I ain't even, I ain't even know uh, like Jesse has spoke at that event. Yeah, that's how, I, that's how I
1: learned about him. I didn't know anything about him, you know, but he uh, he had a lot of good interesting points. I remember he talked about uh, only fruit till noon, and that was something that resonated with me a lot. You know, instead of uh, eating breakfast, like, you could drink water and eat fruit just to clean your system to, you know, give your digestive system a break. Since then, he's been on my radar a lot more, but yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, it started the, start the book. Um, I think, like, the first quote is do something every day that makes you uncomfortable. So yeah. I mean that's the preface of today's episode. Um and then we talking about uh Major Pain as well, which is fucking yeah. hilarious. I watched it yesterday.
1: <laughs> uh, oh and God. I thought it
0: was a I... good I thought it was a good re- reference for it because in Major Pain, um Damon Wayne's is uh ex Marine. So yeah. it's it's a it's a great comparison to uh to SEAL. Yeah. So I'll
1: give a little background on Major Pain and for those who hasn't seen it. So Major Payne was a killing machine in the army. He All he ever wanted to do was catch bodies and kill people. But the government ran out of operations for him to come through. So they're like, all right, we got to retire you. So now he's, like, kind of going through life, trying to figure out what to do next. He tried a couple of things. Like, he's in a self-defense class. He ended up getting arrested for, in, a, like, a play-around situation because the dude was acting like he was domestic violence. He whooped the
0: dude ass. Nah, it was, he, was, he was going out. Nah, it was mad funny because what happened was he said... <laughs> After after the Marines, I wanted to take my killing skills <laughs> <laughs> to the civilian world. You know, he went yeah. to the police force. <laughs> that's what he was. He went oh, to the word. cops. Word. Yeah, so that that scene, yeah. he was uh, auditioning to be a cop. Oh, word! word, word. Yeah, it's, that's what <laughs> <funny>. he's like, he's <laughs> basically saying, cops kill people,
1: <laughs> kill people like motherfucker. Well so yeah, so he um he didn't get that job. So he decided to end up at a school. It was like a board a school for like orphans. Was it? like a lot of, or troubled nah, it wasn't kids. even
0: orphans it wasn't even orphans it was just troubled nah. kids nah the whole school oh, it was just there. troubled kids at that school nah it was a boarding school but they had a ROTC program
1: oh but a lot of the kids were getting in trouble though right Like, nah a of the, 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 the
0: main dude was nah his father main. was a, his father was an alcoholic yeah but he was getting in trouble at school right Nah, so no like discipline. so, nah, So the whole school, so the whole school was a regular boarding school, but they had a ROTC program. And the reason why uh, they went there, the reason why they sent Major Payne is because the kids kept making, uh, they kept making all the uh, directors quit. Yeah, yeah, but they were like acting up. Yeah, but they wanted to be, but yeah, but they all, but yeah. they all wanted to be in that program though, because they all could have left at any moment. Yeah,
1: but they was acting they all, up, you know. So, so yeah. uh, you know he was, Major Payne came in the role to be their ROTC instructor and shit. So the whole movie is essentially Major Payne being Major Payne and him trying to collab, with also, uh, I can't remember her name in the movie, but she's Hillary from Fresh Prince. I know everybody knows her from that. You know, that becomes his little love interest, and they're all, them and the kids are trying to soften them up, and he's, you know, still being himself, but he's also teaching them lessons from his type of mindset as well. So the movie... Is essentially about Major Pain becoming softer as he makes everybody around him a little bit tougher.
0: Basically, yeah, yeah. I forgot her. Yeah. I forgot her name and what you call too. I don't. Yeah. Even, I think I think her name is Karen something though. Yeah,
1: but you know, it was it was interesting. Uh, one of the things that stood out for me in that movie was when uh, they was pissed off. They were trying to run off uh, Major Payne, and they hired some dude, some big dude, to whoop his ass. And Major Payne handled him like it was nothing. But afterwards. He came to the, you know, to the cadets' rooms and was like, "Yo, who did this shit? Who who set this dude up to come beat me up?" One dude took responsibility for it. So "I I did. I act alone." He was like, "Yo, oh, so what you gonna do? You gonna kick me out?" He's like, "And send you on vacation?" He's like, "No." He's <laughs> like, <laughs> he "No, I'm about to, I'm about to make you the leader of this of this ROTC group. And if they fail, it's your fault. But if they win, it's on you too. And I thought that was really important because I think I feel like a lot of times when people get in trouble." they get things taken away from them. But in reality, to actually heal and rehabilitate, you give people responsibility, it gives them more purpose.
0: My favorite part of the movie was, um, was a Little Internet Code Story. Because like before yesterday, <laughs> I ain't see that movie in like, probably like 15 years. Then, but I always remember that part. I always remember that part.
1: <laughs> Yo, that shit was hilarious. So, crazy. But what, um, how would you say that you probably, you try to bring, you know, getting out of your comfort zone into your life? Like for
0: one, Public speaking, I think most people have that fear of public speaking. So I just started to, like, do stuff like that. Well, I started doing, actually, Pilates first. But I wasn't really teaching it in in amongst of, uh, like, adults. I was teaching kids at first. Kids was kind of like, kids is kind of funny because kids are like, Kind of assholes, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like teaching it with them. I was teaching them at the boys club first, and that's why I actually I got to practice because kids don't they don't got no filter, bro. They don't give a fuck. Yeah. So that's how I practiced. Or that's how I started making myself uncomfortable. Then when I got when I got good with the kids, adults is easy because adults is like even if they don't like the class, they're gonna be respectful. They might silently leave or they might just stick through it. But kids gonna let you know how they feel. So I would say that just public speaking first. That's the first thing I started to do. And then like once, once I started teaching Pilates, being myself obviously um, going into spaces where i'm the only person like me being a black heterosexual male in a pilates studio like that was like it's, it's, it don't mess with me no more but it used to mess with me for a while just to see like how people would look at me and, and ask if if they, if they was in the right place or if they was in the right class and shit like that so that actually yeah. made me uncomfortable for a while especially like i said being the only black male in the class because most of the time yeah. it's a bunch of like white men. yeah
1: nah, no, that's real i mean that it's interesting too, like when you get out your comfort zone, that makes that gives you those unique opportunities though, you know, because now you're one of the only straight black men in Pilates, you know. So there are benefits of coming out of your comfort zone. You know, I feel like since I've stopped playing football, I've just been out of my comfort zone. You know, I was so you so big on my body and working out and stuff like that. The first thing that, you know, happened to me towards my injury was I lost the use of my arm. So that was uncomfortable to just I had to sit for a long time. Like, literally just go sit on the couch and not do anything. And I was super uncomfortable. I had to find different ways to challenge myself. Uh It was around the time I read that book. I started fasting. I started, uh I tried, one fast was kind of crazy. I tried to- Yeah, I remember that. I remember, anything. Yeah, I remember, I'm like, I told like you I was going to work. I told you that <laughs> was going to work. I remember that. Word. I, I, I made it through, I made it all three days without eating, but- I had to drink water on the second day because I woke up dizzy as hell. <laughs> but, you know, I was like, <laughs> even, even this right here, this platform is a, a form of me getting out of my comfort zone. I was not really a very talkative person. I talk to my friends and stuff like that, but I'm not really one that talked to people and talk to strangers and get out there like that. So this is definitely something that's given me out of my comfort zone a lot. I try to make getting out of my comfort zone almost like a, a part of like my everyday. You know, I started meditating for an hour. Just so because it's hard as hell to sit there for that long, I I try to do cardio. I used to always just do sprints when I was playing. All I did was run sprints because it was the easiest thing. I get the rest at the end. I hated jogging. So I decided to start jogging. You know, I jog like a mile or two miles and I'm starting to ramp it up. One of the most beneficial things that I've done for my life and my confidence is getting out of my comfort zone, doing things that are going to be hard for me, doing things that's going to challenge me. I mean, rehab every day is getting out of my comfort zone when, I, when I'm when i trying to get my arm back into to, its working form. At first, it was tough to be at the position of not having an arm, not having to work, not even feeling like that I could actually work and get it back, you know, but just did a bunch of uncomfortable work, and I'm starting to see the results, and, you know, it's still a long road to go, but I just see that if I wasn't – if I didn't get out of my comfort zone, I my mindset would be so thrown off right now.
0: Yeah, I mean – like in a book, this shit is this shit is funny for real. But I remember like one of my one of the things that because I listened to it. So one of the one of my favorite parts of the book is when they went to Boston and he ain't bringing enough clothes. Up until that point, they was going on a six mile jog every day. I think this was like day eight or something like that. So up until that point, it was going on a six mile jog. So he didn't bring enough clothes, so they had to run. They they were supposed to run a normal six mile jog, but he didn't have enough clothes. So he had to run commando, and it was cold outside. It was like fifteen degrees outside in Boston, and they had to run around a lake or some shit like that. So yeah. at one point, only six miles. Um, he started feeling something dripping down his leg because he went. He had he went no underwear, <laughs> and he noticed that his balls was bleeding. So he's like, "My nuts are bleeding." <laughs> and then, and then, uh, the SEAL, who turned out to be David Goggins, made him uh run an extra, an additional two miles. What? What nuts are bleeding? that's when I realized. That's when I realized I would. That's when I would have stopped. Yeah. Like that's why, yo, bro. Like getting yourself comfortable is co- Getting yourself uncomfortable is cool. But that shit, I ain't got that in me, bro. Like I realize yeah. that shit. I'm not running to my nuts bleed.
1: Yeah, I, I think there's a threshold where you go past pushing yourself and you hurting yourself. You know, David Goggins, he likes to hurt himself. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, I and mean, he likes he likes the pain. He'll break both his feet. Like the man. I remember one part of the book. He said that he woke up in the uh, Jesse Issa woke up in the middle of the night and <laughs> he walked into his uh his like gym gym room and the dude was on a bike for eight hours, like Man, through the night, crazy. like, like from like 11, 11 PM to like 7 AM, he was on the bike just going like, you know, and he get hurt. He's going to fight through it and keep going. But I think that, I don't think that's necessarily the most healthy way. Like I, 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 I appreciate the lesson that they are teaching about pushing yourself. The whole idea is that when you think you're done, you still have 40% to go physically. You can still go 40, 40 more percent. So I appreciate that, but I don't advocate for the side of hurting yourself, getting, making yourself so uncomfortable, and you set yourself back. Well, I think, <laughs> I like, think, it doesn't do much for your mindset. I it think makes David, you really well, wire like
0: that. Yeah, but I think, but like, I mean, I don't agree with that shit either. But I think the reason why he's like that is because he was in, he was in SEAL, so most of the time he was in life or left life or death situation. Right? If I'm in war, nobody gives a yeah. fuck that my foot is broken. It's either mm-hmm. I gotta escape or I'm gonna die. Yeah, so I think his mindset is like, yo, he coming from a military, and that's kind like, of like the parallel level major pain. Like, remember, remember when he first got to the school and Tiger was running away from a shot, and he was like, yeah. "So you don't like shots? When we show you a trick to take your mind <laughs> off that shot." He's about to break a, break finger. Finger. <laughs> he <was> a six year old finger. <laughs> he's six years old. He's gonna <laughs> break his fucking finger, bro. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's like. I'm gonna put you they, in pain to take your mind off like, some other pain you in.
1: Yeah, they level of uncomfort is extreme, like, it's Nah, but like every, to...
0: that's because yeah, because everything is life or death. Like I said, if yeah. You break your foot, if you, like, imagine he he. I don't know. We don't know his missions, but if he landed in a territory and he had to get out of that territory, which you're broken, what you gonna do? You go. You, you can't just wait there if your feet is broke. You gotta move. So he so, coming from an extreme standpoint that most yeah. that civilians don't ever have to go through. Because remember, yeah. remember when we had I think we had Hell Week. And that shit was like, bro, what the fuck? This shit is retarded.
1: Yeah, that shit was felt stupid. It didn't even feel like we like, were supposed to we had do that shit. I
0: think we had it for what? We had it for two days. I think we had it for uh, Friday and Saturday. Word. And it was a two-a-day. Like, the things that they, like, so the things that we had to do for Hell Week or Hell Weekend, basically our coaches at Fordham, they had hired these uh, ex-Marines to come and put us through like a version of the Marine Corps Hell Week, but we did it in two days. So they made us do like um some of the things that actually David Goggins had him do in the book. We had to do a uh, fireman's carry. We had to do with the whole, the whole uh, length of the field down and back. And it was mad yeah. funny because <laughs> you had to go with your opposite position. So like so like receivers had to go with. Either receivers or cornerback or DBs. And then linemen had to go with linemen. Linebackers had to go with running backs. But the thing is, (laughs) we got running backs that was like five, six. (laughs) Little as hell. Yeah, I think, I think, yeah, I think which was like five, six, like 178. And then he yeah. had to carry like jock or some shit like that, or something like it. Or say, <laughs> yeah. like
1: damn, yeah, word. I remember that. I do remember that. <laughs> Jameer, <laughs> yeah, damn, that shit was tough.
0: Yeah, the, the whole went for the field, yo. That shit. And then the lineman was dying doing that shit yeah. they took two hundred eighty pounds, three hundred pounds, had to carry each other one hundred and twenty <laughs> yards. <laughs>
1: word that joke was crazy but we had to do but, shit
0: like that we had to do I think we had to do like an Indian a Indian run around the field yeah. a couple times we had to bear crawl Indian run a couple times we got um,
1: jumped
0: in one, the pool we, that, that was the day two then we had to do like a log like a log carry log roll situation then yeah. we had to do shitload of ups, and then the day two we had, do, we had to we had to we had to tread water in the pool with our sweatshirts on yeah and I, I can't tread water but that shit was just I mean I guess the whole point of that was supposed to bring everybody together um, yeah I don't think it effectively did that because we we was missing a, a word, <laughs> we missing a player and nobody noticed. we we missing a player and nobody noticed to the next day. Like, yo, what you call it? wasn't wasn't in, He wasn't in the pool today. We didn't know so an afternoon yeah. shit.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was one of their attempts. Like they tried, like our coaches tried a lot to get us out of out of like our comfort zone, but we never got comfortable. I feel like you got to get comfortable first to get, get out of <laughs> your comfortable zone. We didn't have no routines and nothing that worked for us. So we just got this dude coming and cussing us out and everybody like, fuck you, bro. Like, <laughs> most of the people not even trying to finish this shit. Like, you know, like it, it proved the exact opposite what they were trying to get us. Like, we was more divided than ever after that shit, I felt like.
0: I don't, I don't know. I think like for the most part with football in general is was just like, like none of us, I don't think any of us was fighting for each other at that point. I think a lot of us was just fighting to because with football, like especially with our team, like if you was hurt, they used to punish you for being hurt, which yeah. was fucking stupid. So I think yeah. a lot of us would, would like we would try to finish not for you or not for each other. We would try to finish so we wouldn't be shamed. Yeah. And that's the wrong yeah. reason. And that's the wrong reason to do something. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. I didn't want to, I didn't want to do something. I mean, I, I was always a team player, so I didn't care. But I'm saying like a lot of people, they wouldn't want to do stuff because, well shit, I don't really want to do this. They wasn't doing it for the other teammate. They were doing it, like I said, to not be shamed. Yeah. Word. You know what I'm saying so, I, so a lot of people a lot of people a lot of people actually didn't quit a couple people did quit, but it was the people that we expected that wasn't gonna make it to quit to be honest it was it was like yeah. the same three people that we wasn't expecting to make it yeah like so I all. feel
1: like but I feel like that it, instead of making us more united, it made us like all probably united against our coaches though. because you're like yo this is stupid bro we wasted two days at camp to do this shit like you know what i mean like i feel like we distrusted our coaches a lot more after that like you know because <laughs> yeah. i feel like a waste of time i
0: don't know they did a lot of dumb shit though I, I remember my freshman year remember my freshman year like when we came out and it was hot as fuck my freshman year or my sophomore year yeah. my freshman year and he kept making a start over practice for no reason yeah Starting over well, we didn't even do nothing yet. <laughs> like, I mean, like,
1: look, you want to talk about uncomfortable in college? We we had to, for, to in order for us to get our summer school paid for, we had to go to to uh, summer workouts. But yet they didn't feed us, <laughs> so we had to go figure out and find money on our own to eat food. But yet if we didn't go to the workouts, they wouldn't pay for our summer school. So literally, those those summers used to be so uncomfortable. We we didn't have one summer; nobody had nowhere to stay, so we was just like nomads in the Bronx, we are, uh, Daryl uh, and Bryson, and y'all, y'all snuck on campus and stayed there the whole year, like, and I remember Yo, I was someone, staying in Drake crib. Yeah. But at the
0: time, at the time, we ain't know that. At the time, like I said, but we still do At the time, nah, I we, ain't know, I, definitely I wasn't, that. I wasn't uncomfortable. I the only time I was, that. the only time I was uncomfortable is when, actually, because I had, I had, I think, I think Dave had had a room and then, uh, I think Peanut and John didn't have a room, and the only reason why I got comfortable is because them motherfuckers crashed my room. We had a four room, and it was supposed to be it was only supposed yeah. to be two of us in there. And then they came in there, and I'm like, oh hell, no, it's way too many. But we people. we was on we on scholarship,
1: we on in college on scholarship, and we had to sneak on campus. We had to sneak into the into the cafeteria. You know what I mean? Like that was uncomfortable. Like we we should have been walking in everywhere like it was nothing. We should have had somewhere to stay. We should have a cafeteria full of food, access to all the time. But we had to go find our own money. It was low-key, like, all right, you handle the shit that we need you to handle, and you got to figure everything else out on your own. Like,
0: like I said, at the time, that wasn't uncomfortable for us. But we don't know
1: that that was uncomfortable, though. You know what I mean? Like, I think that from, from this pers- this perspective, like, that was extremely uncomfortable. I'm, I mean, I played in the league, so I met a bunch of guys that played on other teams, and they didn't even – they couldn't even imagine what we've been through. Like, all the all shit that we went through in college, like, they couldn't even imagine that. Everything was a, a walk in the park, like, but, you know – our main shit was we had to figure shit out on our own the whole time. We never had anything handed to us in a sense at school. but I think that 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 um, you know, dealing with that in college kind of opened us up and made a, these stresses of life a lot easier, you know, because we went through it gracefully, like, you know, like like you said, we was having fun. We wasn't like pissed off and all that shit. We was making it the best uh, best that we could. But you know, after we got out of school, that was probably where it actually landed a little bit more, where we had to be more resourceful and have less and do more with less and stuff like that. So I mean, I think that it definitely taught us a great lesson in college, but I don't think that we were supposed to get our lesson like that, honestly.
0: Yeah, I mean, for me, I ain't care because it was life I chose. Like we knew that we knew what we was doing. Like he said, like they gave us the, they gave us, they told us what, what it was. Like, listen, if you don't do this, you don't get this. And it's like, well, we chose to do it. So I just accepted mm-hmm. it. Like, all right, fuck it. I'm gonna figure it out. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I I understand that, but I also feel like when you bring somebody into the school, especially on a need-based scholarship, knowing that they don't got shit, that you shouldn't force them to come out of pocket for, for things. Like, like how how are we going to be able to survive when you already know the only reason why we got there is because we was poor?
0: I mean, that's more so, of an NCAA issue, though. That was, that was the thing. It was the NCAA but, rules. But I know, it wasn't, but it's like still wasn't our it's rules. Still a,
1: it's still an issue, though. I mean, it's something it we had to deal with. You know what I mean? It, it I mean, is. they passed it a couple years ago where all athletes are mandatory to eat. You know what I mean? But yeah. period, like if you went if you went to Syracuse or Rutgers, you wouldn't have to deal with none of that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and we went to a one A 1A school, one double A school. This isn't just a D three school. Like, we played, we was in the playoffs. We had games on television. You know, but yet we sitting here not knowing if we're gonna eat after a workout. But yet nobody else in the world really deals with that. Like, you know, that's why it had to become a, a rule a couple years later because those kids out here that was fucking starving after they worked out. You know, and and. and I don't think necessarily that's where you're supposed to... When you go to college, that's what you, you're thinking about when you're on scholarship. How am I going to eat?
0: Yeah, that's fucked up. Yeah. That's definitely fucked up.
1: But I mean, I think that, it, you know, it paid a, it paid off in the future. Like, now, I feel like we, we are able to handle a lot more because of all the shit we went through in college.
0: That's a fact. And then I think another thing that he talks about is, like, uh, being complacent, right? Like, and, like, how your brain actually learns through... I mean, your body and your brain learns through stress. So, for me, like, even, even, like, for me, like, when I schedule my workouts or when I plan my workouts, I do the same essential movements, basically, but I do a different variation of those movements every time I work out. Because your body, I get used to certain things. Like, he was running the same six-mile loop around Central Park every day, like, the same way every day. I think he saying he ran, like, 13 New York City marathons in a row. So, for him, like, six miles was basically nothing, but how he did it. Like, even, even one day, like, running it in the opposite direction kind of, like, fucked him up yeah so it's like so for me like complacency leads to like idle time and when i get idle time i get bored and i do dumb shit so for me i never want to be never want to be complacent i think that's another big thing about how this book is because even in the the beginning like he was kind of like dreading shit like he was questioning seal about a lot of shit but by the end him and his wife didn't want seal to leave yeah yeah
1: and i think that's important to like to stress that we do learn through stress i mean i try to think about like all your All the memories that are implanted on your mind—it was probably because either a traumatic experience or it was something that you either was embarrassed about, you got sad about, you got angry about. It was that extreme stress that taught you that lesson. Like for instance, like you see fire, and you go touch that fire, you realize that gives you pain. Now for the rest of your life, you're gonna know in your head that fire is hot and it's gonna give you pain. And then that's like a small little example, but in the grand scheme, your body it responds to stress. It acclimates. So essentially like on a, on a workout thing, say you work you maxing out and you try to get, you get like 225 for two, and then you get, you barely could get 245. So your body takes that stress and realize, Oh shit, I got to deal with this 245, 245 pounds stress. So the next time you come back to work out, it'll be a little bit easier to push that 245 yeah. up because your body acclimated for it. So, to put yourself through stress is the only way you can grow. If you stay come if you stay in the same comfort zone, your brain's not gonna get any true uh triggers or cues to grow.
0: Yeah, basically, continue to push yourself and uh, on a physical, on because your body doesn't naturally on a physical way, but then like on a mental way. Say if like I think we talked about purpose in other episodes, but like for for a stress level or something that to keep you from being complacent, like what what do you do? Like what like. Let's like say if it's a skill, right? Like, what's a skill that you wanted to learn? Or do you, like, right? Like, I would say, like, DJing, right? You learn a skill. You learn how to DJ mad fast, right? Yeah. And then once you got it, you liked it, and then you got bored of the shit. Yeah. Because you got yeah. complacent. You're like, well, I know how to do it you now. Got easy. Yeah. What did you learn? What are you learning how to do now? That's new. Right now?
1: Uh, Well, now it's this podcast. You know, this understanding how to put together this podcast, understanding all the work that needs to go behind it, and uh, I think the the thing that the next thing I need to do to come out of my shell, which this is a kind of a version of is, you know, having more of an online presence, you know, putting things out that I care about, things that I think about, having a, put, having my page filled, filled with things that I talk about and that matter to me. So right now, my whole uncomfortability is coming out of my shell in a sense, coming out and talking to the world, being a little bit more open with, with people opposed to just, you know, laying back and trying to be in the way that i always been. Cause I've always been a laid back, quiet guy. I never really like go talk to people. I only hang on my people and my people only. So I'm trying to get out of my shell a little bit more and, you know, open up and
0: share some of the things I got. So basically just like being more vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. What about you? Yeah. I would say, I mean, I've been working on vulnerability for the last couple of years for myself. Um Like I said, I've been putting myself in uncomfortable situations. And then now it's just like for me, one of the skills that I want to work on. It's not necessarily the skill, but I think twenty twenty one, it's not even that it's not even necessarily a resolution. I wanna I wanna practice being being uh being more friendly. <laughs> Cause I'm not friendly mean? at all, bro. Like I'm not friendly <laughs> at all. <laughs> like I'm not friendly, bro. So it's like I want to work on being friendly. How you wanna work on that? It's by changing my mind, right? So instead of instead of like instead of thinking, 'cause like like I said, it come a lot with being us in the, in the society we're living in, right? So I think the way that I grew up or the way that we grew up, sometimes it could be somebody's judging us based on how we look. Or it could just be we projecting that they're judging us based on how yeah. we look, right? So it could be either our projection. Yeah, it could be paranoia or our projection based on experiences, right? So from what, what I'm learning, I'm trying to what I want to learn how to do and what I'm practicing to do is <clears> – <throat> be more optimistic about those, those situations and then not try to project. Cause then when I project, I become more defensive. Yeah. yeah. You know what no, I, like, so what I want to do is be more open to like, be more open instead of being like defensive all the time. Just like, yo, yeah. f- just let, l- let, let them show what they doing yeah. first before exactly. I automatically be defensive.
1: Yeah. And that's why I feel like also it, it comes to like living in your world more too, you know, opposed to like getting caught up in everybody else's mix or, oh, I don't like what that person did. Or I don't like what that person did. Oh, this person said this. So you're kind of getting out of your own world thinking like, oh, how, this person will receive me this way. If they think this way, then, you know, it's it got it goes back to like, you know what? Like, I'm not even going to act like I feel a way about anybody here. I'm just going to be me. Like, I'm going to feel, if I feel happy, I'm happy. Like, I'm just going to be happy. I'm not, if somebody says some shit that pissed me off, I don't got to entertain it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think one of those things for sure, like that's has helping me at least was just kind of, coming into my own world and stop thinking that oh if I go out and meet with these people I have to live in their world and I have to please them. I could just be myself. Like I could and as long as I continue to keep my energy, I'm not gonna nobody's gonna be able to pull me off
0: it at all. But yeah, yeah it's, I mean, it's, it's a it's a balance though. It's a balance that I that I figure out too because like I said, like in this space, because we know I know a lot, right? The more you know I don't know a lot, but what I'm saying is like the more you learn about certain things like the book that I'm listening to now. Um it's called um black rednecks white liberals right yeah and it talks about like the history of like culture and behavior and how culture shapes behavior and like the history of where it came from right so even if you talked to certain way remember how like when we were growing up it was cool to be like damn near dumb yeah right like if you was if they if you was smart they called you a nerd like you fucking nerd like you know what i'm saying yeah right and then how did if you talked and correct english motherfuckers say, why are you trying to act white right yeah but in reality <laughs> he talks about this shit being like the he calls it he calls it in a book uh rednecks black rednecks but in reality when you acting like a black redneck you acting like a basically a, a redneck which is a white person <laughs> acting a fact, like a white yeah. person because all that yeah. behavior came from white people yeah so yes you acted it came from a, a certain region of people like it came from yeah, southern like white sharecroppers people. yeah so, yeah it came yeah. from southern white people who were like who were like sharecroppers or who lived in like the outskirts of society in europe yeah so yeah, behave most of the
1: time like they most they didn't even like they didn't even own slavery most of the time. Like
0: those are It's not even about slavery. Not, it has nothing to do with slavery. It's just about like how behavior how culture shaped behavior. So like the pe- so the black rednecks, the re- how they act, the, like the, the behavior that they display and how they act, they got it from the same they got it from like the people that live in the outsource of society in Europe yeah. that moved to the south. So it's basically yeah. he talks about how yeah. he's acting like southern white, like southern white. Yeah, people but so it's
1: slavery. It was slavery that like, it came from
0: type shit nah but they but they was acting like that before that's what i'm saying they was acting like that before slavery that's what he's trying to say he's trying to say that like he's basically saying that like slavery is a part of a lot of things but your so behavior... you're talking about black
1: globally not necessarily black american this nah, is black about, so... redneck globally not like a black american redneck, you know what i mean because i'm thinking that i'm saying slavery because i'm thinking it from a perspective of a of the black american so therefore our interaction with these, these sharecroppers and shit, it wasn't like they were they owned us. It was the fact that when we work in, we, those are people that we talk to. Nah, you no,
0: know that's, nah, that's not what I'm saying. that's not what I'm You're looking at it from a, from a different, different point. What, this, this is what I'm saying. I'm saying that the people... Take slavery. All right, so slavery did play a, a part in it, but what I'm saying is those people... Like, the reason why you... The reason why the certain a certain demographic of people act like that is it's based on culture and region. That's basically yeah, what it is. But
1: Yeah, but what I'm saying is the region... I mean, it might be a European region that moved to the South, but it's because they was in the South. You know what I mean? Like, like those Europeans in the South dealing with the interacting with the black people. That's where they learned it from. They didn't learn it from them in Europe, did they?
0: No, no, no. The ghetto rednecks, they learned it from Yeah, They learned it from the the South.
1: So that's what I'm saying. So from a from the from a historical sense, slavery was 256 years. You know what I mean? It was it was a long time black people we interacted in america with europeans and shit all these people
0: on like in plantations and and nah, these, so, like, and these so a part of a part of so that's that's the reason why i mean we going off way off topic about talking about the book but it's, nah, it's yeah, i just a, wanted
1: to get this point no nah, yeah. it's we can take it out i just wanted to, yeah
0: nah, it's only a part it's only a part of people right so it's like cuz there was there was free there was free black people during slavery but in yeah. fact like black people owned slaves but yeah. what it was was it's about culture right so like Take take example for now, gangster rap, right? Gangster rap culture, right? It's negative. It's negative mm-hmm. behavior. In reality, it's negative behavior, bro. It's poor behavior. It's negative. It's I fucking think, stupid, right? I think but I I don't know. Nah, it's I negative that, behavior, bro. It enforces and enforces think, negative behaviors. But like, I also like I you, get, that, you get like you get, but that but that whole shit. He talks about the history of how that comes like and yeah. where a lot of th- where a lot of that comes from in certain demographics because you got different demographics of black people. You got poor black people, which he which he calls uh, black rednecks. Then you got middle class, you got rich. But based on where you're from and based on the area that you live and based on your income level and your class level, you're gonna act a different way. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so the northeast, and- the northeast, was 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 way more educated. Like the best schools come from the Northeast. So they way yeah. more educated than they were in the South. Even still to this day, right? The Ivy League schools has as historically has the best education in the country. Right. So the Northeast, so even Northeast blacks acted different from 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 Southern blacks. Right. Also, yeah. no, also color also colorism, like right. The lighter blacks got treated a certain way and they, they even look down on darker skinned black people in the US. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So all of that shit plays a role to culture region and the behavior. But but usually the poorer people acted more like the rednecks. That's what basically what he was trying to say.
1: What I was saying about gangster rap and how it has a negative connotation, I really don't feel like it does. I think that it's it's about perspective, really. I think that people that that have, they understand that there's two Americas, that there's a white picket fence America and then there's an inner city America. So for somebody to speak their truth to what they go through on a daily basis, I can't really say that's negative. I think it's just a perspective that the world needs to see. Like, for instance, like if th- there was a big movement coming out of Iraq and Iran with music, like I'm not going to sit here and say it's negative music because they're talking about their experience, the things that's getting them by on a daily. And a lot of it is just self-protection and making sure that you're good because nobody else going to care about it.
0: I get it. I understand, but I think I think uh, for the most part, now I don't. don't, Yeah, I think for the most part, it's pushed for a reason, right? Like it's certain type of music. It's certain type of music that's like like fucking. Um, David Banner talked about this shit. He was like, "Yo, he was like only like we the only people that allow." Like, if you go to any other station, you don't you don't really hear like our, our most popular music is music that degrades us.
1: I mean, right. but that's why I don't think that it's not our popular music though. That's what they chose. You know what I mean? That's nah, what, but exactly,
0: they, exactly. And, and, that's, and that's what that's what he's talking about. And that's what kind of he's trying to say. But that's that's what I'm trying to say basically. I'm trying to say like our our most popular music is music. I mean, now that we now that I'm grown, I don't like it's certain shit I don't even listen to no more because it's just not me anymore. But when I was a kid, when I was a kid, the shit that I listened to influenced my decisions, influenced what I was. So that's why I support it. Like now as an adult, oh, that shit don't faze yeah. me. But when I was a kid, I lived my life based on the shit that I liked. Listen.
1: where you was at though you know that, exactly. that spoke to you that spoke to you a lot more especially like for instance now i could listen to little baby i could listen to 21 i could listen to pooh shiesty all these dudes that talk crazy and i get honestly most of it is just workout energy you know what i mean but like if you're in the, if you're in it you're in the inner city you're dealing with that shit you're dealing with ops you're dealing with all that shit that music is going to ignite you to go and protect yourself you know but i feel like when it comes to you being outside of that shit it has different motivations.
0: I understand I, I that too. A, I understand that to a point because there was people, there was people, there was people in, there was people in our communities and my neighborhood that that didn't partake in certain things. We <laughs> like, yeah, but that's,
1: that's everything. Know what I'm saying? Else, so,
0: you know what I mean? It's just, it's different people. It's just different people. That's what I'm saying. Like, because within the same neighborhood, you can have different people of different culture.
1: Yeah, not exactly. But what, what I'm just saying is that it is talking about a, it's talking about an, an experience that people are doing to try to empower themselves. But at the same time. The reason why people act like it's all negative is because it gets them out of their comfort zone, in my opinion, at least. You know, I feel like that this isn't what we deal with on a daily basis. So therefore, this is inappropriate. But in reality, this is somebody's every day. But the negativity is just a perspective. The people say it's negative. It's I feel like it's more of a perspective. Like for instance, Cardi B, like Cardi B was a stripper. She talked about selling pussy pretty much <laughs> all the time and giving pussy up, you know what I mean? But that's I don't think wife. that's negative. I don't think that's negative. But what women will say that's degrading. You know, you know how they, they had a huge movement over over the WAP. You know, the song yeah. WAP. gay. Like, like, yeah, you right. They yeah, were talking true. about it was degrading and it was disrespectful. But it's like, yo, that's her life. You're disrespecting her by saying that her shit is not legitimate enough. But I mean, you know?
0: but also, nah, she, I don't know about that. She was basically saying it's entertainment. It's also entertainment. So like, That's what I'm just, saying. That's her
1: life, though. That's her, her life is entertainment.
0: You know what I mean? Yeah, like entertainment. Her, she's
1: yeah. an entertainer. She's been an entertainer. She was a stripper you know what I mean? That's the ultimate entertainment. You know, so like the fact that she's saying it and people are like talking bad on you is because it's out of your comfort zone. You, you're not used to hearing this things put this way, so therefore you feel like it shouldn't be there. But in reality,
0: it's just out of your comfort zone. That is true. That yeah. is true. Yeah. That is a good. That is a good way to. That is a good way to put it. But even. Uh, but even in your comfort zone, like I said, like on a, on a different, on a different take, that, that's, that's a great take that you said, but on a different, on a different scale, like how I compare certain things to when I'm, when I'm, when I'm looking at society and I'm looking at shit, I'm like, yo, I just try to get a new primary care doctor. Right. Yeah. And within, with, for my, for under my insurance, there's no black man, there's no black male primary care doctor within 50 miles of me. Yeah, that's but crazy. but there's an abundance of rappers. <laughs> like, Word. You know what I'm saying, that's basically what I'm. That's basically what I what I be thinking about. I'm like, yeah. what the fuck? Yeah. Like, why the fuck I know more rappers? That's than a more great point. Athletes, but I can't find a fucking doctor. It's a it's
1: a very. I feel like it's a very very great it, simple reason for that. And it's that it's a sacrifice to be a doctor, to be a lawyer, to be a rapper. You could just live your life. You be an athlete. You just you're born with your athletic abilities, or you work on it. You do it every single day. But it's something you get like this. You don't get the benefits of being a doctor to so you like thirty five. So, bro, you as, don't get the benefit. But you don't get the benefit of being a professional athlete to you twenty two. What? But that's a lot sooner than thirty five. You know what I mean? <laughs> then you gonna be all in. You gonna be in debt for that whole that whole time. Like you know, you are gonna be thinking about all I, while I get all this bread,
0: it's going right back to the but government that's, and that to pay for and that goes to the culture because he even talks about um, which is true too. Like Caribbean black people, they different oh, yeah. from but they 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 big on education. Yeah. Yeah, hell yeah! Right, so Caribbean blacks versus Black Americans is different too, because like they have value education. And you will see them; they'll yeah. be fucking doctors and lawyers but and shit. we will be rappers and yeah. athletes.
1: It's perspective, though. I feel like we don't have the perspective that immigrants have of America. You don't. And we don't. We talk about that two yeah. yeah, you know, like no. we we see America as oppressive, but Black people or people from all over the world, not even just Black people, people all outside of America try to come here. America has a lick. I yep. could come up here. Like, so yep. I'm not going to sit here and think that, oh, racism is going to be a problem. I deal with racism and I they don't even let me eat. I don't get, my racism is not having clean water. Like, you know what Word. I mean? Like, so they're like, shit, y'all just getting called niggas and some, a black person getting shot every once in a while. Like, I could go deal with that. So they come here to sacrifice. You know, like most of the time, like I was talking to, I was in LA and uh, I had an Uber driver, dude from the, he was Philippine, Filipino. He was like, yeah, he's just here for another couple years. To, he's sending money back to his family. He's just sending bread back. He don't give a fuck about nothing. He didn't care about nothing. Nobody said nothing. Like, Because all he's doing is making sure his family's good. He's just sending bread back. You know? they, they The mindset is different. Our That's mindset here is that we need it right now. We got to get it right now. Well, we need my mama right here is struggling. She's been struggling all these years. So I need to go figure out a way to go get it right now. Like, So our mindset is it's thrown off because we just we think that we have a immediate satisfaction. We need to get things now, and I think it comes just from the from the fact that we don't have a foundation. You know, we don't have a a way of life. We don't have a place you could go when things are going bad. You know, it's just everybody's out there for on
0: a, uh for themselves pretty much. yeah, basically, I mean, it's like I said. I mean, to a certain extent, you got a point, but then you you just you just made that you just like. You just gave up or you just said mentioned your uh cab driver you know what i'm saying like he literally left where they had nothing probably to come here with nothing I, I, I about people come here with nothing so it's basically it's basically about us um taking for granted what we have here yeah but it, and it's also perspective though like you go it is perspective like literally like, have, nothing, like that's you have no opportunity like, like like think about no it. like we call like me. think about it. we call we call we call chicago chirac right bro yeah. chicago was nothing like iraq not even close. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Not even like, close. It's, yeah. like Chicago is bad, bro. Like I don't want to go there. Like parts of yeah. Southside south, south Chicago, I don't want to go there. But I would yeah. much rather be there than being in Iraq. In Iraq, yeah. I'm saying, fact. and that's yeah. and that's what I'm saying. So it's like you will give you give yourself an excuse that yo, it's bad here. Where I'm from, and this this is this, this and that, bro. You don't know how bad it is, bro. Yeah, like, but you, I, you think, Iraq, yeah. it is bad, bad but real, I, real. I just think that it's
1: it's also perspective because you look at black people and who we know and. Like, you're not really gonna get many people that had success in this country. So, you don't really have an optimistic view. Like, your great great grandparents haven't had anything. So, but first, if you're in the Philippines or you're in Sudan or you see something like that, you're living in an oppressive culture, an oppressive economy. The dollar is probably, y'all, your currency is probably volatile. I know in the Philippines, one of the highest paying jobs is just braiding rope, you know, and they make like $5. A, yeah, a so they, month. Come here, they come here you know, with a crazy so ass work ethic. With the perspective, you know what I mean? They have the perspective, of, oh, shit, like, well, Manny Pacquiao came here and got rich. Oh, well, such and such did it. So I could come here or oh, such and such. My next door neighbor is over in America sending bread and his family living good now. So let me go in, over there and go do that. You know, so people like other people out of outside the country have the perspective of America as an opportunity. But we as a Black Americans, I feel like our perspective is only as oppressive as Post-slavery civil rights and, era, and that's and that's era. why he talks
0: about, and that's why in that book too he talks about white liberals because they kind of push to be pushing that narrative. When in reality, yeah. bro, even in Chicago, even in Chicago, 100 of the crime is committed by less than 10 percent of the people. Word. So most but, people that's in the South Side Chicago are not committing crime. But the problem is, is
1: that the people don't have other people to look up to, like their great grand their grandparents, their parents, they in the same same neighborhoods dealing with the same shit. So they really them. Or the, the people that they are not really advancing themselves. They
0: don't even see the world as an opportunity. Or the people that they live happen by. to be rappers and athletes.
1: But that's a very small portion, just like you said, of the people that commit crimes. Exactly. I mean, what is it one not even point oh 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 one percent of a city? Probably smaller than that. Because yeah. what New York I'm saying
0: I'm saying of that right of that, that uh like I think most of the crime is in is in like I think it's in uh Southside South Chicago, right? So within say, yeah, I don't it's know, it's hundred thousand people total, and that and that and that's part of town, it's the, the crime is committed by less than ten thousand people. Yeah, but it, it's
1: it's more about the what do you see? You can do with your life, you know, like the people that live around there that don't commit the crime that just see it. They don't see that they can go and do bigger things with their life, and that's the that's the our problem with our mindset is that what we're so used to is being oppressed of not getting enough, not getting opportunities. And uh, you know, people, immigrants from outside the country, black, white, and different, they see America as opportunity. So they just get a no, they just smile it off and keep it moving. Like literally the other day I was on a um I was on a Zoom little Zoom meeting. I didn't speak, but I was like listening to other guys speak. And my, my old teammate was on there, Andre flew and he was talking about the mindset that guys have. Like white guys when they go into a pitch, and they get turned down. They oh shit, fuck it. I'll I'll find somebody else that'll give me black people. They get turned down, and now it's oh shit. Nobody's gonna right. ever help me. I'm not gonna I'm not right. gonna get anything because nobody ever is gonna see me as anything because nobody gives us the opportunity. You know, right. so our mindset is thrown. Yeah. It's our mindset is already on the L. We are looking to to lose already. You know what I mean? Like we go right. in there with our mindset thinking that this is not gonna work out for us. And right. then if
0: it's it just, does, then you get into the hero mindset. Well, because Jesse Esther had mad. I talked about that when I when I first listened to the book to you. I'm like, yo, Jesse Estler had mad opportunities, bro. Nice. <laughs> like, because you but but was like, yo, nah, his mind is crazy. Because Jesse Esther, yeah. every time he, every time he were, like, every time he pull up a meeting, he just pull something out of his ass and be like, yo, and yeah. I, he talked about it. He's like, yo, just don't get booed. Like, Word, real shit. <laughs> he's like, don't get I mean, booed. He said there was one part in <laughs> the book where he was supposed to fucking perform and Ella cool J got booed right before him. So he came out and just gave out t-shirts and then left. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Word. <laughs> but yeah, that but was mad like, smart. Like, yo, I ain't getting booed. Is, booed. You know, and and a part of what white privilege is, is the privilege of seeing somebody else go and do the impossible, go out there and make their own dream and go. So like Jesse Isler, he a lot of people would say, oh, he only got all his opportunities because he's white. But in reality, he only had the confidence to do that because he was white, because he had his white fathers and white grandfathers that did the same shit. That whether they opened up a business, they did some trailblazing something. But it was just like they were taught that lesson. All right, no matter what, just keep going. Just do it. You'll get your yes eventually. Yeah, just do it, yeah. Challenging myself has been one of my keys to happiness. It feels like breaking out of prison. When you tell yourself you can't do something or it'll be too hard, the prison walls are being built. Accepting the challenge does the opposite. It makes you look deep into yourself for a part of you that is unfamiliar. You embrace that part of you and those prison walls start to fall. Now you see a challenge as a chance to be free to discover yourself, to create your own happiness. Now, I'm not talking about being OD like Major Payne or the SEAL, who is David Goggins. It could be something like challenging yourself to be more more outgoing, to work out, to start a business or whatever. So I'll leave you with this one question. What prisons have you built for yourself?
0: See you next episode.